Let's go to the Lord in, in prayer, if you don't mind. Father God, uh, we love you. Lord, and I just I thank you for this day. I thank you for the gathering together of your saints. We can come into your house and sing your praise and worship you. You deserve all of it, Lord, every last bit of it. And more than we can give it, you deserve it. Father, I just I ask you now, God, that you would rest upon us. As we have come to, to worship you, to bring a sacrifice of praise to you, Lord, that, that in turn you would, you would bless us with your grace to receive your word. Do the miracle that only your Holy Spirit can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. So if you uh, have your Bibles, I'm not going to dilly-dally, I've got to get right to it. I've got a lot to cover. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew I'm going to be taking my text from Matthew chapter 13. And uh, while you turn there, I just want to give you a little bit of a recap so that we're all on the same page. Um, Over the last few weeks, I've been talking to you about money and possessions. On the first week on the subject, uh, when I I broached it, I, I told you, basically what set what it was that set me on this this journey and we discussed you know how how we're all really just beggars and we're all really in desperate need of mercy from and forgiveness from our savior Um, there's nothing that sets us apart those of us who have uh, any kind of modicum of wealth and if you live in this country even the poorest among us are wealthier than most of the world but there's nothing that separates us or sets us apart or makes us any better than those who are truly poor and those who truly have nothing, the homeless and the destitute. We are all beggars in need of our Savior. Amen. In the second message, we talked about how things, money and possessions, they have a general gravity that, and they command our, our time and our attention. And there's a very real danger of replacing Christ as Lord in our hearts and we set up idols of things and possessions. We begin to pursue those for happiness instead of Christ for happiness. And then last week I I showed you how Jesus warned us to watch out. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed because greed is a hidden sin. It's, it's hidden from the eyes of those who are most guilty of it. And without even knowing it, even, even they'll, they'll even insist that they don't have a problem. They're not driven by greed. They'll insist that they don't have uh, an unhealthy or an evil relationship with money. And they're guilty of it. You can be so driven by greed that it becomes your eternal undoing. Without even knowing it. Jesus said, be careful, watch out for this. No other sin did you tell us to watch out for it because it's, it's obvious. Well, this one is sneaky and we're blinded to it. So this week, I want to talk to you about true wealth and deceitful riches. True wealth and deceitful riches. I'm going to have to do this in two different parts. I just, I just don't have time to get to everything that I need to get to in this particular message in one session without rushing over some things and glossing over some things. And I just don't want to do that. So today will be part one. And I'm going to start with a bit of a testimony and some justification for all of this. You know, why, why this subject? Why money and possessions? And why now? And I, I believe that we'll finish up today with a little bit of uh, discussion on the deceitfulness of riches and the lies that we tell ourselves about money. And then, not next week, but the week after next. Because next week... Um, 
that's it's going to be a hard week for me. I'm just, y'all pray for me. That's when we take Brianna to college. But Pastor Dad's going to be ministering on, uh, on walking worthy, so you don't want to miss that. So I'll pick back up the week after next with part two. So let's, let's get to work. So I have been planning to preach on this subject for quite some time. It's been two years in the making. Um, I didn't want to do it, though, uh, you know, when everything shut down, I thought, I, I don't want to do this when we're not meeting in person. I felt like that for a subject that's as sensitive as money tends to be, when we start talking about people's pocketbooks, everybody gets all up in arms and they get antsy about it. I didn't want to do that over, you know, a computer screen. I felt like we needed to be in person. And I, and I also didn't want to do it at a time in the church when um, the church itself is barely making ends meet. I didn't want to start talking about money when the church is, is living week to week and barely making it. I don't think that is the right time to begin a teaching on giving and kingdom generosity because it necessarily calls into question the motives behind the message. Um, in this day and age and in our culture, that we live in, in the economy that we live in, even in the middle of the pandemic and all the, the stuff that's going on, the time to teach on giving and money and possessions is not when there is a great need in the church, but when needs are being met. I say that because if you know that we might be struggling to pay the light bill in the church, if you know that, if you know that we might be having difficulty making our payroll obligations, or, or meeting our, our financial obligations as a church. And then I get up here and I start preaching and, and telling you all about what the Bible has to say about giving and generosity and, and telling you what the commandments are in the Scripture. Then it is natural for you to wonder in the back of your mind, what exactly is motivating this message or this group of messages? That would be natural. Is this coming at us because it is really a big deal in Scripture as far as the Scriptures are concerned? Does God really care that much about money? Is this really a big deal in my life or my relationship with the Lord? Does it have an eternal impact on me for real? Or is this just another fundraising technique to help pay the bills? So this is just my personal opinion on the timing of things. Um, based on the times and the culture that we're living in. Because if you look at the apostles, you know, they, they spoke about money and they spoke about giving in times when the church was in great need. So I'm not saying they, they're wrong and I'm right. But the prosperity of the church, the culture, the economy, the government that we are in were very different from the time of the early church. And the church itself looks very different than what the early church did. So I'm not saying I've got it right as far as timing is concerned. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm not saying the apostles had it wrong because there is ample biblical foundation for teaching people about generosity in times when their generosity is desperately needed. There's ample foundation for that. What I am saying is that in our culture and in our time and with so many of the abuses that we have witnessed over the past several decades, especially in the American church, it does spark seeds of distrust. More often than not, when the church tries to teach about giving during a time when it needs your money, people tend to distrust the message. Now, I mean, just 
be honest now. I'm not the only one who's had this thought. He's just talking because he needs. I mean, we've all sat through sermons on tithing. We've all sat through sermons on giving. We've all sat through sermons on money. And I promise you, if you're honest with yourself, in the back of your mind somewhere, as holy as you're trying to be and as much credit as you're trying to give to the preacher, you have thought, what does he need? Why doesn't he just come out and ask us to write a check instead of trying to guilt us into doing this? Right? Or are y'all more holy than I am? So I'm, I'm telling, I'm bringing all this up, you know, the, the natural suspicion behind it, because I want to tell you this. Since I began this, this subject, I guess it's been about four weeks ago, I've been very intentional not to formally call for tithes and offerings. Very intentional about that. I do not want you, or anyone for that matter, to make a false connection that I am addressing this subject as a way to raise money for the church. See, normally, and this was before COVID hit, before pandemic uh, hit and we had to change the way we do things, normally every service we have a set time for formally receiving tithes and offerings. And we, we just we open it up and we bring our tithes to the storehouse. We like the imagery. We don't take up an offering. We, we like the, the, the physical nature, the imagery of, of bringing it in. I'm giving it. That's not being taken from me. I'm coming to bring it a willing offering. So we, we like that. That, 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 that. There's a holiness about that, I feel, and a sincerity about that that you don't, you don't get when you just go pass a plate, I think. I'm not saying passing a plate is wrong. It's just the way we choose to do it is a little different than what you see in most. But we do have a time... Uh, usually in every service where we have a formal reception of, of, of contributions. So even before the pandemic changed all of how we do these things, even before all of that, I was thinking about when I, you know, working this subject and, and addressing this subject, I had planned to change how we do tithes and offerings during the process, during that just during that series, just so that you wouldn't make the connection. I want to avoid you making a false connection that I'm begging you to come give because I, I'm preaching on money because I want you to come give and give to the, the church. I, I just don't want you to tie this series to any other motive in my heart than to preach the truth of God's word for his glory and for your good. So even, even before the pandemic changed things, my plan was to put a box in the back, just like we have right now, and say, if you're so led, just you know, leave your gift in the box. It's a, but I'm not going to do a formal, it's time to give. I'm not doing that, because I don't want you to make the connection. So, so there's that. That's one thing I have done to try to ensure that, we, that you, there's, no, there's no reason to question the motives for this message. The other thing I didn't really have much control over, and, it, and I had to fully rely on God about this. You see, obviously, the pandemic and the shutdown and the general fear of gathering has caused nearly every church in the country to experience a sharp decrease in their contributions. And, and I'm going to be honest with you, we're not any different. Okay? I just want to be transparent as possible uh, so we have seen declines in our, our weekly contributions. For the most part, though, our, our regular givers they have continued to be faithful in their giving. Some have even dropped off their tithes at the house. They've sent them in the mail, uh, even, even though they're not coming on Sundays because there's so much uncertainty about getting out and about. They're, they're concerned about catching some deadly virus. 
There are others who have taken advantage of the electronic means of giving through our online giving platform, giving from a distance, which is, is wonderful. And to all of you who give and who are faithful in that, I applaud you and I commend your faithfulness. And I say thank you, not just for me, but on behalf of everyone sitting around you, because without your generosity, we couldn't do church the way we do it. So even in the middle of the, the pandemic and the economic shutdown and the, you know, where there you know incomes and jobs are maybe uncertain, you all have been faithful and I want to commend you for your faithfulness. Just as Christ commended the woman who gave her last two Amen. coins. You know who you are. So right, right about now, it would be natural for you to be thinking, well, he may not be formally taking up an offering. He may not be asking us to bring our tithes into the storehouse, but it's a pandemic, it's an economic shutdown, and uh, there's a crisis, and the church is hurting for money, so that's why he's talking about all this. Again, our culture and our times that we live in, they make that a natural response for you to have. I don't I don't want you to feel guilty for having that, that thought, okay? Because it's the natural thought. You should have a very healthy amount of skepticism when someone uh, tries... Uh, uh, you should have a healthy amount of skepticism about someone's motives when they try to convince you to do something that might financially benefit themselves or their organization. And it's not that, that uh, we just immediately discount what they say or we immediately dis disbelieve what they say on the basis of those grounds, but we do need to heighten our attention. Pay careful attention. That does tend to raise some red flags. We want to watch for those kinds of things. Be watchful for the, the warning signs and be diligent. So it would be natural for you to say, well, the church is hurting, and so that's why he's asking or he's preaching about giving. He's still trying to guilt us into being generous. Well, I want to put that fear to rest as well, okay? Not only for those of you sitting here, but I want to put it to rest for anyone who might hear this. You know, I'm amazed sometimes at the, the, the views that we get on Facebook and on YouTube when we the messages that we put out there, not the number. I mean, we're not, it's like thousands of people are watching me preach, but just the people and the places. You can see where they're clicking from, like what state and what country. We got people in, across the world in Europe that have watched sermons that we have produced from here. And I just, that astonishes me. I mean, and they'll be, I'll put a sermon out there and then three months later, someone that I don't even know will share it or like it. And I think, wow, that's, that's incredible. You know, I mean, who am I? Uh, but it just, it just the, the word goes forth and it remains profitable. And I'm, I'm, I'm pleased about that. So for anyone that hears the message about giving and, and generosity and money and possessions, I want, you, I want to remove the doubt in your mind that I might be doing this in order to get you to meet a financial need that the church has. Do you all remember in the Old Testament in Ezra and Nehemiah when Cyrus the king of Persia, he basically funded the rebuilding of, of Jerusalem and the temple. And, and so you've got this pagan king that did not know God, and the scripture even says as much. God said as much about him. He said, you, Cyrus, I have called you by name, and I will use you even though you don't know me. He didn't know God, and God acknowledged that you don't know me, but I'm using you for my purposes. So you got this pagan king that God used to support and provide for his people. 
Well, you know, everything shut down. There's a global crisis, an economic crisis, and they announced this last stimulus bill, the CARES Act. All right, so what was, what I think was astoundingly unique about this particular stimulus package from the government is that they announced that churches as well as businesses could benefit. They made these funds available to churches as well as businesses. And it's being administered by the Small Business Administration. Churches don't get benefits from the Small Business Administration. There's a, a, a separation of church and state. It's been a long-standing rule that we're not allowed to use public dollars to fund religious activities. Well, they said, we're going to let churches take part in this stimulus package. And so they announced this, and I, I wrestled over whether or not we should participate in that. I, I really did. I struggled over whether or not to trust God to just provide for us through the generosity of His people, which He has done for years and years, week to week. We've always been able to make ends meet. We've not always known how it's going to happen, but it's always happened. And not with tons of excess, but we've, we've been able to make it. And so I've struggled, Lord, do we, just, do we, do we trust you for this? Do we, or do we take the help that's being offered from the government? And so I, I got advice from people. I, I talked to people I trust. I was struggling with the moral implications. Is it a lack of faith to get government assistance for the church? The church that belongs to God, not Caesar. Amen. Now, I have told you all before how I, I follow a set reading plan for my morning uh, Bible reading. So it's already said. I have a certain, there's certain scriptures for every day that I read. It's chronological and I go step through the scriptures. It's a predefined plan. Well, just at that time, when I'm wrestling over what am I supposed to do with this, this help that the government has offered? Is this a big deal? Is this something that we should take part of? Just at that time, that's when I began reading Ezra and Nehemiah in my predefined Bible reading plan. And it occurred to me as I read through that, I mean, it's not an unfamiliar story. I've read that story many times before, but having it on page, on the paper, right in front of me, made it more relevant, more real than just the faint memory of it. It occurred to me as I was reading through that text that, you know, what if, what if the Hebrews had rejected the king's offer to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple. What if they had said to the king, Cyrus, we thank you for your generosity, but we don't want it. We're waiting on the Lord. So with that as my scriptural backdrop and with much prayer and much contemplation, we decided to take advantage of the government assistance that was being offered as a church. I mean, I mean seriously, think about it, church. Think about it. When have you ever heard of the government offering money federally backed loans or any other kind of assistance to churches Amen. this just doesn't happen and when they said churches were going to be included in this i was certain i mean i was sure that it would be shot down in congress but you know what it wasn't that bill passed overwhelmingly with the language for religious organizations Amen. Amen. it was Almost as if God was saying to the church, in America anyway, you know, the world may be in turmoil, but I will provide for my church. 
pressed down, shaken together, and running over, I will cause men, taxpayer dollars, to give into your bosom. I've told you all of that, again, because I want to be as transparent as I can be. I've told you all of that so that I can tell you that as of this moment, and, and even before we started talking about money and possessions, in fact, the week before I broached the subject with you from this pulpit, this church, Family Worship Center, because of the bountiful provisions of God through your generosity, and because God moved upon Cyrus the king to provide for his church, we have a fully funded budget through the end of 2020. That means all of my, our, our known financial obligations are taken care of through December 31st of this year. Before that, church, and, and for years, I mean, for, I don't remember a time we've ever been that far ahead. I don't remember a time when we've been two weeks ahead. It has been week to week. So no, I, I am... <laughs> I'm not coming to you from a position of financial need. And that makes my heart sing. I'm coming to you on the issue of money and giving from a position of gospel necessity. Gospel truth. I was so concerned about doing this series during a time of need that I put it off and I put it off. And I put it off because I wanted to avoid even the hint of suspicion that I might be teaching in order to serve myself or to serve the organization that I serve. It's been like fire in my bones. You can ask my wife. It's been shut up in me. I've been dying to get it out. And so it had been so long. It had been shut up for so long. I'd finally gotten to a point where I was just going to go ahead and bite the bullet and do it. I was just going to do it. I had just gotten to the point, I'm just going to have to deal, Lord, with the objections. I'm going to have to deal with the, with the superstitions. I'm going to have to deal with the suspicions. And just, but I'm just going to trust you, Lord, to work in their hearts anyway, even though it doesn't look good. And so if you remember, I began a series on heaven, which are talking about heaven. And I, and man, this has been... The, the very first Sunday that we closed because of the governor's request, you remember that? You, I mean, the, all the churches in the country shut down. The very first Sunday that we closed, that was the Sunday I was planning to begin this series. I, I had just wrapped up that series on heaven, and I did that on purpose. I went to heaven because I felt like, how can I talk about rewards in heaven if we don't all have a good, solid, biblical view of what heaven is? So I did that on I was setting you up. I was. I was planning to do it that first Sunday. And then, then they shut things down, and we're trying to be good citizens. We were trying to do the right thing. And they ask us, hey, y'all don't gather in groups of 10 or more. And so it's all right, fine, we'll go online. Every church in the country had to pivot to online services. And I thought, I can't, I can't do this online. I can't talk about their pocketbooks. I can't talk about something as sensitive as money to a computer screen. They'll just turn me off. They'll tune me out. And especially during a time when we're shut down, because I think, oh, he just, why don't you, just ask us to write the check already, Jeff. Quit trying to guilt us into it. Now, y'all are laughing, but that's exactly what some of y'all be thinking. It's the truth. 
I, don't, I would. I'm not, I mean, I'm not immune from that. How many, how many sermons have I sat through when the preacher started talking about money and I thought, what do you need? Just, just write, I'll just write you a check. Don't guilt me. I'm not trying to guilt anybody. And here's the thing. So we shut down. I'm, I'm, I'm gearing up for this. I did the like six, seven weeks on just trying to talk about what heaven is, is like and the reality of heaven. And I'm, I'm gearing up for this to try to lay on to you some real biblical truth about money and possessions and eternal rewards. And then the thing shuts down. So I'm like, Lord, are you, what are you telling me? Am I on the wrong track? Did, you have, am I, am I on, did I get it wrong? Did I miss it? Did I miss it? Do I need to go a different direction? But here's the thing, church, I cannot look on the events of the last couple of months and on how God has taken the church, our church, from a place of just barely making ends meet. That's the exact place I did not want to be while preaching on this subject, a place where barely making ends meet. He's taken us from that into a, a fully funded budget through the end of the year. I mean, and the means and the method of that provision are so far beyond the realm of conceivability. It's just, who would have thought? I, I cannot ig ignore that. I just can't ignore it. I mean, I believe that, you know, because the Scriptures tell me so, and because I have seen it with my own eyes, that God really does work all things together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Amen. He really does. And I'm, I'm not saying that, that God caused a global pandemic and that he, he caused a national lockdown and a global economic crisis and a $3 trillion stimulus package just so that I could preach about money and possessions to the handful of people that will ever hear it. My preaching's not that good and there aren't that many people who could stand to listen to me anyway. But I will say this. He could not have given me, Jeff Rogers, me personally, a more clear go for it Amen. than if he had opened the sky and split the ground and said it audibly himself. So I feel spurred on with a righteous boldness to preach on money and possessions. Church, that should, that should give you cause to rejoice. It gives me cause to rejoice. Because I know that I get to talk to you about giving and generosity and money and possessions without any hint or even any, any tiniest doubt in my mind that I might be doing it for the wrong reasons. My conscience is so clear on this. Now, I'm, I'm always very careful about what I say to you from the pulpit and, and why and what my motivations are for saying the things that I say. Because I, this is a weighty thing. This is hallowed ground. This is sacred. It's a sacred office, it's sacred ground, and I dare not bring a bad name to my Lord. Amen. I better be doubly careful about my words and my motives because I don't want to bring a reproach upon God. And that's why I, I preach using a manuscript. i got everything written down. I want to carefully craft each word. I want to carefully craft my thoughts and consider what I'm going to say and how I'm going to say it. I want to make sure that what I'm preaching is not driven by personal agendas or grudges. I want my preaching to be driven by what's in God's Word. Lord, what does your Word say? Let me preach that. That's why I've been reluctant for months to start this series because there, there was no way in my mind... For me to know that I wasn't being motivated by financial needs of the church. 
I mean, there's always the doubt in the back of my mind, no matter how much soul-searching I did about it, no matter how much thinking and praying I did about it, there's always the reality that the church is making it week to week, and that barely so. There's always that. So, Lord, what are my motivations for doing this? And there's no way for me to be sure about my motivations. I have doubts about my motives. Are these messages driven by the Scripture or are they driven by by the need? And and I'm telling you now, these messages are purely Scripture-driven. The only way for me to know was for God to meet the need in a big way. And that's exactly what He did. To listen, you, you get to hear biblical preaching on money without any reason to question the motives of the one who's saying it. You can receive the word and be sure that I'm not giving you the word of God as I see it uh, glorifying me and benefiting me. I'm giving you the word of God as I see it glorifying him and benefiting you. And listen, listen, you know, I've, I've just told you that we, we are, we're, we're doing okay Thank you, Cyrus the king. Thank you, Lord, for moving upon the government to answer the needs of your church. The worst thing you could do with that information right now, church, is for you to say, well, the church doesn't need my money, so I'm just going to not give it. I could use it. I could really use it myself. No, that, the best thing, the, this is the best time for you to give. Because now you know that your giving is not out of compulsion, It's not out of necessity, not out of obligation, but it's out of a joyful obedience to the Lord. It's out of a worship of your heart. I know what what you're thinking. If I don't give, I mean, they they rely on that money. If I don't give it, they can't be able to pay that bill. I better write that check. I have just removed all of that from your lap. You don't have to worry about that at all till December. It's the best time. Now you know, Lord, do I, am I going to pass this test? Am I going to pass this test? Now you can give and know without, beyond the shadow of a doubt, there is no temptation for me to give out of compulsion. It's going to be a joyful act of worship. Amen. So, now you know I'm not talking to you about money because I need you to give. I'm talking to you about money because I want you to live a life that is that is gloriously reflected in Christ, and that it gloriously reflects Christ to the world. And I want you to walk in the blessings that come with seeking first the kingdom of God and storing up your treasures in heaven where they will never rot, where there is a never-ending supply. Do you have Matthew yet? Okay. We took the long way around, but we're finally here. Matthew chapter 13 Look at verse 3, and I'll be wrapping up. This is going to be, go quickly, hopefully. 13, verse 3, Jesus is telling us the parable of the sower. And he says, A sower went out to sow, and he sowed some seeds, and, fell, and some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. 
Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Anybody got ears? So if you move on down to verse 22, this is the text that I really want to focus on for the little time that I have left this morning. Jesus is explaining this parable. He spoke in parables and then he explained the parables because his disciples often didn't get it. And in verse 22, he's talking about uh, the part where the seed falls among the thorns. And he says, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So, when Jesus describes thorns that choke the word of God, he says that there are two kinds of thorns cares of the world, and deceitfulness of riches. Now that should lead us to ask the question, who is in danger of being deceived by riches? Is it the wealthy? Is it the people who already have riches? Or is it the poor, those who don't have riches? And the answer is both. It's both. In times of abundance, riches will present us with a false security. In times of lack, riches present us with a false savior. There is no financial circumstance that you may find yourself in in which riches do not present a very subtle but very real and deadly danger. So in what ways do riches deceive us? I should say, how do we deceive ourselves in riches? See, we we look to money and we rely on money for promises that it cannot make. And promises that it cannot keep. We often see money as the answer to our problems. We see it as a gauge. A way to measure God's blessing and his ability to provide for us. We think that our own lives are are valuable based on how much we can accumulate. And we look to money to provide a type of comfort. A type of rest and an abundant pleasure that only can be found in the presence of our Lord. We look to money to satisfy those desires. And it might surprise you to know, if you really think about it, it might surprise you to understand just how actively you need to be guarding your thinking, especially in times of plenty. See, our eyes, if you remember from last week, our eyes are blind to this sort of sin. No one sees themselves as greedy. No one sees themselves as having an evil relationship with money. The danger of being deceived by riches or the danger of deceiving ourselves in riches is always with us. There are some lies that we tell ourselves about money and they are deadly and deceitful. And I'm just going to go over three little lies that we tell ourselves. The first one is, I will be happy if I just had a little bit more. Just a little bit more. It always seems that contentment, I mean real contentment, is always just a few dollars away. You know, my happiness, my satisfaction, is just a few dollars away. If I could just get that raise, if I could just get that new job, if I just had a little extra, everything would be better. It's very tempting to look at the budget and think that just a few dollars more would make all the difference. But Paul says in Philippians 4, 
11 through 13. He says, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am in to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any circumstance, in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. Now, according to Paul, our contentment is something that we must learn. I have learned in whatever situation I'm in therewith to be content. We must learn things. That's how the way we learn things is to practice them. We practice them in the strength that we are given in Jesus Christ. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Contentment has absolutely nothing to do with your bank account. Happiness should have nothing to do with your possessions. How much you have. But it is completely dependent, however, on how much you see and savor and treasure all that you have been given in Jesus Christ. That's where contentment, happiness comes from. That's where it is dependent upon. Money will fade. Riches will wither. Evaporate. Let one stock market crash happen. It will evaporate overnight. But faith in Christ, treasure in Christ, that will never fade. The second lie that we tell ourselves about money is that the more I keep, the more secure my future will be. Now listen, saving, okay, saving, preparing for a known future expense is a wise and prudent thing to do. What man, the scripture says, what man goes to build a house and does not first count the cost? It's good for us to save for goals and to even save for times of lack. That's how Joshua was able to deliver his family and all of Egypt for that matter from the seven years of famine that, had, that was coming upon them. He saved during times of plenty. But, there's always a but, saving in excess can lead us to a hoarding mentality. We begin to put our trust in the money and the accumulation that we have. We are deceived into thinking that we can protect ourselves and our families from any future problems if we just save up as much cash as we can. And that church is a false security. That is a promise that money has never made to you because it is a promise that money never could make. Only God can make you that promise. I used Joshua as an example just now. See, he, He saved enough to get through seven years of famine. So does that mean that we should be saving seven years of income enough to get through seven years of of famine? No, it does not. Joshua was given a specific time frame by God in advance. Joshua uh, wasn't saving for some unknown eventuality that may or may not happen. He wasn't saving for the unknown. He was saving for the known. God told him, this is what you need to do. And he did it. He's, he heard the dream. God gave him the, 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 the interpretation of the dream. And because of that, he knew what needed to happen. He was saving for a specific reason, a specific time, a specific purpose, all given to him by God. He was saving out of his trust in the Lord. I trust the Lord for what he says. Therefore, I will do what he told me to do. He wasn't saving because of his trust in money. Do you see the difference? What happens when we start to get this mentality that we have to have large sums of savings for things that may or may not happen? 
We're saving for a rainy day or for some unknown catastrophe in order to make sure that we can weather any storm that comes. Why wouldn't we let God handle that? I I realize, and it is not lost on me that I'm, I'm preaching this. And because I'm preaching it, you know, I'm doubly accountable to it. And, and it's very conceivable that God could test me in it. So I say this with all fear and trepidation. It displays a real unbelief in God's promises to provide when we look to that money and our savings to save us from an unknown future. It displays unfaithfulness, unbelief. It attempts to replace God as our provider. I'm not saying we shouldn't have savings, you know, save for a rainy day, but, but goodness. At some point, you have to say, God will provide beyond this. You know, if I've got a month's salary in the bank, that, that should probably be enough, depending on your situation. If you've got 17 kids at home, maybe you might need more. I don't know. I mean, it's, it's individual to you, but at some point, it becomes excessive. At some point, you, you get to a point where you're not trusting the Lord anymore. You're trusting in riches. And, de- and you've been deceived by your riches. Amen. Amen. Listen, the Christian was never called to be a warehouse or even a storehouse for that matter. We were called to be clearing houses. Blessings flow to us in our lives and they flow through us to others. Clearing houses. It's not, we're not storing it up, getting fat. It's just We're just conduits to let it flow. Let it flow. The more you you store it up, the more stagnant it gets. It becomes putrid because it deceives you. Let me tell you, hoarding, though, is not unique to the rich. I can hoard a dollar or I can hoard thousands of dollars. If I am unable to see that everything I have belongs to God, then I am hoarding what I have. Hoarding always displays a lack of faith. If I, if I can't hold on to it, I've got to hold on to it. It's my last dollar. I can't let it go. I told you three weeks ago that it, it comes down to a question of ownership. Who owns it? Is there anything in your life that God doesn't own? And if there is, you've got a hoarding problem. On the other side of that, you know, on the other side of storing and, and hoarding and, and not trusting God for our future... You can know that you've been deceived by riches if you have failed to grow in your generosity to others. If your default reaction when presented with someone else's need is to tighten up your fist and to shut things down, then you have probably been deceived by riches. A fruitful life in Christ will be marked by a desire to participate in the work of our Lord. You'll be willingly and joyfully releasing what He has put into your care for His work. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians 4.17, he said, Not that I seek the gift. I'm not concerned about, you, about your money. I'm not, I'm not seeking you to enrich me. I am seeking the fruit that increases to your credit. I want, I want you to be blessed. And how are you going to be blessed? By giving generously. Amen. By, being, by releasing what the Lord has given you to manage. Amen. Not to own. Do you desire the fruitful life of faith-filled generosity? Or are you hoarding what it rightfully belongs to somebody else in the first place, namely God? It's not comfortable today, I'm sorry. Amen. So we are called as Christians not to be possessors. Not to be uh, owners, but managers and stewards. 
Thirdly and finally, the lie that we tell ourselves about money is that I don't have any real needs. And this comes in times of plenty usually. It can be a real trap for the Christian when they start to correlate their financial condition to their spiritual reality. This is what the Pharisees did. They thought, because we're doing well, God is blessing us and he's happy with me. The wealthy church in Laodicea had been deceived by their riches. Or should I say they deceived themselves in their riches. Revelations 3.17, Jesus is calling out the church. And he says to them, you say I'm rich, I have prospered, I have nothing, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I have no needs. The Lord has richly blessed. And he says, you're blind and naked. It can be hard to see your own spiritual poverty when you're surrounded by material abundance. Amen. Amen. Let, me, let me, I'm just going to say this. I have a few friends who are in leadership in, in churches, and you know, we, we, we share burdens. You know, we talk, we, we, uh, we confide in one another about church issues, pastoral issues, that kind of thing. It's good to have someone to bounce things off of. And uh, it, it's, it's not unique to this church. It's in every church. But you'll have people that will come to the church because something has happened in their lives. You know, that has made them see there's a desperate need for a Savior. There's a need for the Lord. There's a need for community, Christ-centered community. And so something has happened that brings them here. It may be a, a struggle in their marriage. Maybe there's been infidelity and they, they need help. There's, they've lost their job. Financial hardship is, has hit them. They've lost a kid. I mean, something has happened and these people are broken. And all of a sudden they can see their brokenness. And so they come to the doors of the church and we open our hearts and our arms and our pocketbooks to them and we love them and we cherish them and we teach them and we train them and we live in community with them and they're seeking the Lord. They, they want answers to all these questions. They, they want help through this struggle and they're looking in the right places and then what is, I mean, and because they're walking the walk and they're, they're suddenly started talking the talk, now they start seeing things turn around in their life. Their marriage is suddenly better. Why? Because they have a godly view of marriage. Their finances are getting lined up. Why? Because they have a godly view of finance. Their children are behaving. Why? Because they have a godly view of parenting. All of a sudden things start working out of them and guess what? They no longer need God. And so we don't see them anymore. We don't see them. All their needs got met and now they're, now they're gone. It is a deadly, dangerous thing for you to think that because you don't have any needs that you know, you are not spiritually bankrupt. Even the disciples were amazed when Jesus warned them that a rich man would find it difficult to enter heaven. Remember their response? Well, well who then can get to heaven? If the rich can't get there, who can get there? Can anybody go to, if the rich can't go, they're the ones that God likes, aren't they? He's not saying rich people are bad. He's saying they, just, they have, a, they have a, a burden. There's a, there's a barrier. There's a real challenge here. Amen. Amen. You know, he also taught, that in addition to teaching that, that you know, rich will have a hard time because of these, these issues that surround money, he also taught that those who are poor in spirit, the ones that, that recognize their own spiritual poverty, the poor, the destitute, who recognize that they have a need for a Savior, those are the ones that will inherit the kingdom. 
So, I mean, we, but we, you can go to the other side from this, this, this wealth mentality that everything's okay, I don't need God. You can go all the way to the other side to, from, you know, I don't need God to where, where is God? So in times of lack, when you're, you're struggling to make ends meet, you can find yourself with a lack of faith saying, God, where have you gone? Amen. But it's times when times are financially tight that we need to remember that as a believer, God has lavished on us the wealth and the riches of the glorious glory that we have in Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The inheritance that we have as saints of God. Church, the deceitfulness of riches, it can easily take root in our heart. It can choke out the fruit that comes from hearing and obeying the word of God. Think about that, what he said. This is, this is the word. The seed is the word of God that goes forth. He's talking about the living word of God. Amen. The powerful, righteous, true word of God can be choked Amen. by deceitful riches. Yes. Yes. That's why Jesus says you've got to be on your guard against this stuff. It'll be happening to you. You'll be be knee-deep in it and not even know it. If if you're not careful, if you're not in the Word, if you don't have a biblical view and work to keep your mind aligned with the truth, be watchful, be careful. The question is, whose voice are we listening to? Do we listen to those lies that we try to tell ourselves or are we listening to the truth of God's holy Word? So that's your homework. What are you listening to? Who are you listening to? And the next week we're going to talk about true wealth. What is true wealth? Boy, what a, what a dichotomy we're going to see there. Y'all come back next week, hopefully. You're not mad at me today. <laughs> I love you. Let us pray. Father God, I come to you once again, and I just thank you for your precious word. And I, I praise you for your bountiful provision. I praise you for opening a door for me to even address this subject without, without fear, without without doubt, and opening a door for this family to receive without doubt. Lord, you are good and gracious to us. Let this word sit in our heart. Let it fall on fertile ground. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen.